Testament scripture reading for the sermon is from Deuteronomy chapter 10. Hear God's word as you prepare your hearts. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today? For your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Let's pray. O Lord, let your continual mercy cleanse and defend your church. And because it cannot continue in safety without your help, Protect and govern it always by your goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Invite you to open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and there you will find our scripture reading for the sermon text. As we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, we've made our way to Luke 10, and today we will encounter Jesus Christ, the true and better Samaritan. And so I encourage you to open your hearts and open your minds and listen to the Word of God as it truly is the Word of God. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And the Word of God reads, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. Well, as you know, this is one of the most well-known parables in all of the world. In fact, the phrase Good Samaritan has come to mean anyone who tries to help someone else, especially a stranger, if they're in an emergency situation. What you may or may not know is that the state of Texas even has a Good Samaritan law. According to the Texas Good Samaritan Act, quote, a person who in good faith administers emergency care at the scene of an emergency or in a hospital is not liable in civil damages for an act performed during the emergency unless the act is willfully or wantonly negligent. Makes you feel good about living in the state of Texas, doesn't it? The Good Samaritan. Throughout this parable, Jesus never refers to the Samaritan as good. He simply refers to a man who is called a Samaritan who did good things. And thus we call him the good Samaritan. In this story, a religious lawyer stands up to examine Jesus's life and doctrine. The lawyer is not a civil lawyer. He's not an attorney the way we think of lawyers. He is an expert in the law of God. He's more like a theologian than he is an attorney. In other words, he knows the word of God, the law of God, inside and out. For all of his faults, and there are many, as you discovered in that story, the lawyer actually asked Jesus one of the most important questions that anyone could ever ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? There's a part of me that wants to say, well, I object to the form of the question. You should rephrase it and ask it differently. There's nothing you can do. But Jesus lets the question stand. The man wants to know, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to go to heaven, to use common evangelical vernacular? 
Well, Jesus does not answer his question right away. He turns the tables and simply asks him, what does the law say? What does the law say? Think of that answer. What does the law say? How do you interpret it? How do you read the law? The law is not usually the place we go when we want to talk to someone about what they must do to be saved. And yet that's where Jesus directs this lawyer. The lawyer points to the heart of the law of God. And he talks about loving God and loving your neighbor. And notice he didn't say anything in his answer about justification by grace through faith. And so those of us who went to seminary or we're interested in Reformed theology or we understand something of the gospel might be thinking, oh, this guy is toast. He gave a wrong answer. And yet Jesus says, you have answered correctly. You have answered correctly. The religious lawyer, like many of us, knew the right proof texts. He knew where to go in the law of God to get the right answer. But that's not really the question, is it? Jesus wants to know about his life. He wants to know, do you practice what you preach? Do you live out those scriptures that you pointed to? And so Jesus presses in on his examination of the lawyer. Remember, the lawyer stood up to examine Jesus. Jesus has flipped uh, flipped the script and now Jesus is challenging him. So he says to the man, do this and you will live. Do this and what does that mean? Do this and you will inherit eternal life. You will be saved. You will go to heaven, so to speak. Now, the story doesn't end there because what Jesus is doing is forcing this man to reckon with the fact that he hasn't done these things. He knows the truth, but he doesn't practice the truth. You and I know that there is a massive difference between knowing the right text and doing the right things. But like this lawyer, if I could get into your world a little bit, or if you could even get into mine, you would see that like this lawyer, we want to justify ourselves. And we try to run these evasive maneuvers, blow smoke and hide behind them. So we ask deep theological questions. The one this man came up with on the spot was, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? This reminds me of something I read that N.T. Wright said when he, he wrote, when the church needs hard work and generous action, It's interesting how some people, perhaps as an avoidance technique, suddenly discover that there are all sorts of theological and biblical disputes that they need to hide behind. And that's exactly what this lawyer is trying to do. Instead of pursuing obedience to God's word, he is looking for a loophole. To stall, he hides behind semantics. He wants to play word games. Who is my neighbor? What is the exact definition of neighbor, Jesus? Let's make sure we're speaking the same language and on the same page. Well, as I've said earlier, the lawyer was an expert in the law, and he should have known that the law of God actually defines who our neighbor is. 
In Leviticus 19, the law of God describes your neighbor in this way. Verses 9 and following. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great or the rich, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the lifeblood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And you can hear in that litany of commandments who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is the poor, the rich. It's the day wage earner. It's the children of your people. It's the person right in front of you. The lawyer wrongly believed that God's law, love your neighbor as yourself, just meant to love your Jewish neighbor only. To love people who are just like you. But in context of Luke's gospel, Jesus has been showing us that that cannot be the case and is not the case. Jesus has been loving his neighbor as himself, whether his neighbor was male or female, sick or healthy, rich or poor, young or old, Jew or Gentile. And he has been proclaiming and practicing the good news of Jubilee throughout this story. What do we mean by Jubilee? We mean rescue, release, and rest. Now, the lawyer knew that Jesus was doing all of this, and he didn't like it one bit. That's why he stood up to challenge him in the first place. He wanted to hear Jesus speak contradiction to God's law. He wanted to show that Jesus was violating God's law in some way, and that's why he stood up to test him. The lawyer wanted Jesus to say something like this. Your neighbor is anyone. A Jew, a Samaritan, or even a Roman. Here in the Bible Belt, it might have gone something like this. Your neighbor is anyone. A U.S. citizen, an African refugee, an undocumented immigrant. You can see how people would feel tension with that. Jews and non-Jews are mortal enemies. And this kind of answer would have given the lawyer all of the evidence he needed to accuse Jesus of treason and charge him with trespassing God's law. But instead of Jesus answering the man's question, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells a story about a man who was ambushed by robbers and stripped and beaten and left for dead in the dirt. If you think about this parable, I know you've heard it a hundred times, but have you ever noticed that Jesus never tells you anything about the man who was beaten other than he was beaten? 
We don't know if the man was Jewish. We don't know if he was Roman. We don't know if he was a Samaritan. We don't know anything about the man other than he was ambushed by someone. Now, most people assume that he was a Jew, but Jesus leaves that up to our imagination, doesn't he? But one thing he makes clear in this story is that the men who happened to be the right color and the right religion, they were in the right denomination, who knew all of the right proof text, just like the lawyer, they saw the dying man on the side of the road and they passed him by without lifting a finger to help him. Not only does the law of God say love your neighbor as yourself, but the law of God speaks to the details of life like this. In Deuteronomy 22.4, the law of God requires a man to help his brother lift his fallen donkey or ox up off the road. How much more should a man help lift his brother or neighbor up off the road and not ignore him? The law of God gets into the details of life and Jesus is exposing the religious people of his day by saying, look, you guys know the law, but you're not practicing the law. You see the needs of people around you, but you're ignoring them and passing by on the other side. And we can make countless excuses for these two religious men. They were in a hurry on their way to the next meeting. It's not their expertise. They were trying to remain ceremonially clean and on and on we might go. But according to God's law, all of their excuses are terrible. They are unjustifiable. These men disobeyed the law of God and thus they walked away from that dying man in their sins. When Jesus gets to the climax of this parable and talks about how a Samaritan shows up on the scene. Those of us who live in the 21st century miss the barb. We miss the, the cut, the, the jab that Jesus is taking at the Jewish people by saying Samaritan. Because in saying Samaritan, Jesus is speaking of a man of mixed race. He's a mudblood. He's an undocumented immigrant. He doesn't belong there. He doesn't fit in. It's this man who goes out of his way to help the broken and dying man. And he does so at great personal cost to himself without expecting anything in return. It's the Samaritan who pays attention to his neighbor and takes responsibility for him. It's in this way that Jesus answers the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? But that's not the end of the exam, is it? Jesus tests the lawyer again by asking, which of these three do you think? Puts it back on the man. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And Jesus has painted his lawyer opponent into a corner. The lawyer knows what he has to do. And you can just imagine, right? You can just feel the lawyer wanting to answer correctly and yet answering reluctantly. The one who showed him mercy. He He can barely say the words. And then to put the sharpest point on it, Jesus says, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Like the lawyer, we are called to imitate this Samaritan. 
We're called to go and love our neighbor. We're called to imitate this Samaritan. It doesn't mean that we have to go and only look for people who are in a ditch and dying and have our kid out and try to bandage their wounds or call 911. Although if you come across a scene like that, engage. This is about loving your neighbor where they are, no matter who they are, no matter what they are. It's about showing mercy, isn't it? Who is your neighbor? Stepping outside the story for the moment, who is your neighbor? It is the person that God puts right in front of you. And then the person after that and the one after that. That's your neighbor. Regardless of their race, regardless of their creed, regardless of their skin tone. That is your neighbor. Your neighbor is anyone who is made in the image and likeness of God. Anyone that God puts in your path and in your way. That is your neighbor. And you are called by God to love that person as yourself. To show them mercy. Just as you would want someone showing you mercy. So again, knowing the right answers, knowing the right scriptures is one thing. But doing the right things is another. And these two things go hand in hand. It's not either or. It's good for us to ask, who is my neighbor? It is better for us to ask, how can I love my neighbor as myself? It is good for us to ask, who needs mercy today? It is better for us to ask, how can I show mercy to my neighbor, to the person in front of me, in this situation, at this moment? Jesus makes it clear, doesn't he, that if you want to inherit eternal life, If you want to be saved, then you must love your neighbor as yourself without showing partiality or favoritism. You must love your neighbor, whoever and whatever your neighbor happens to be. Now, we're called to imitate the Samaritan, but what does that mean? It's actually a deeper call to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the true and better Samaritan. Jesus, more than anyone else, in a way that no one else has ever done, Jesus loved his neighbor as himself. And that explains how he saw us and why he showed us mercy. Like the unknown man in the parable, we were just going on our way, going about our business, living life, going from one place to another, when suddenly we were waylaid, we were ambushed. We were taken out by sin, the flesh, and the devil. And there we were, left naked, bloody, and bruised, left for dead. And along comes Jesus, seeking and saving. He saw us, and He stopped where we were, and He stayed with us. He came to us where we were, and He had compassion on us. Jesus came near to us and he laid down his life for us. And in a twist on the story, we also know that Jesus fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and pierced him with nails and abandoned him for death and left him to die hanging on a tree. And the good news of all of this is that by his wounds, we are healed By His blood we are washed. By His Spirit we are made alive again. 
And it was Jesus, the true and better good Samaritan, who carried us into the church and put us in the care of pastors and charged them to take care of us and to treat us as he treated us, assuring the pastors that he would pay whatever price, whatever cost they incurred. As your pastor, as one of your pastors, I want you to know that we're doing our dead level best to take care of you. And that's why we remind you of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done again and again and again. And today is no different. Instead of heaping heavy burdens on you and talking about all the ways you failed to love your neighbor as yourself, as your pastors have done. I want to rub a balm into your wound wound and remind you that Jesus loves you as he loves himself. That he washed you with water through his word in your baptism. He poured out his spirit in your heart. He brought you to a safe place called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he set this table before you in the presence of your enemies. If you would, just take a moment to look around at each other and see that he has set you in a family with other people. People who were alone and beaten and crushed and desperate, just like you. And that was your reality. That was your condition until Jesus, the true and better Samaritan, came in the grace of the Holy Spirit and applied the gospel of Jubilee to your life. It was in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus came and proclaimed good news to you who are poor. Liberty to you who were captives. Recovery of sight to you who were blind. Release for you who were oppressed. The year of the Lord's favor. And why did he do this? To comfort all who mourn. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And having done all of those things for you. He now brings you to his holy table. And all of you who are baptized Christians, who have turned away from your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ alone to save you, are welcome to come where he may serve you the bread of life and the cup of salvation. What does he do here? He gives you his broken body to heal your brokenness. He gives you his shed blood to show you Mercy. He gives his life for your life. Like the man who was in the ditch, who was loved and cared for by the Samaritan, Jesus Christ has come and he has poured oil on your wounds. He has cleansed you with his wine. He has given his life for your life. So the story of the Good Samaritan is not about wrecking your life and making things more difficult and challenging for you. You are called to imitate Jesus. You are called to go and do likewise. To give yourself in the love and service of others. Why? Because Jesus Christ, your Savior, has given Himself for the love and service of His people. Let us pray together. Oh God, we thank You for... 
the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for this good news of jubilee that we keep hearing about. This good news of rescue and release and rest in Christ and it's something our hearts and souls desire. We desperately need this balm to come and heal the wounds of our lives. We're challenged as we watch Jesus engage the world and interact with people. We see what He's done for us and how He calls us to do this for others. But we need more grace. We are weak, often unwilling. We feel incapable of doing all that Christ has called us to do. We do want to inherit eternal life, but we want to live that life now. We want to flesh it out that others may know the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray, O oh God, that you will use us in the process of reaching people around us who are broken and wounded, who are left for dead, who desperately need the life-giving power of the truth of the gospel of Jesus. I pray that you will empower us with that same gospel as we consider our calling and our mission in the world. Give us the grace to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Give us the grace to love our neighbor as ourself. All these things we ask and pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.